Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most informational, educational, and entertaining podcast for auto detailers. Welcome to the community. Hi, welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. My name is Marshall Hill, and I'm your guide as we journey through the auto detailing industry. You can find me on most platforms at Total Auto Solutions. If you're on TikTok, though, we love being on TikTok. Find us at Detail Supply App. Best way to get in touch with me, though, direct 918-800-1188. And Nick can be found at Vegas.Rides on most platforms. If you want to reach out direct, shoot him an email, nick at VegasRides.com. Nailed it, Nick. Nailed it. Yep. And I'm about to nail into this Twisted tea. Oh, Are there you a tea go. guy? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, the Midwest. I mean, yeah. Is, is tea big out there? I don't know. No, but uh, one of the things on the West Coast, passion fruit tea is like the mm. the thing. But yeah, no, I, I love tea. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with tea, like a sweet tea, is then pour in a little peach whiskey. Oh, there you go. Ooh, wow, yeah. real fancy out there. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> learn that from Kentucky over there. Over oh, there, 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 there you go. They over there. Apparently, <laughs> they don't use, uh, over, over there, they don't use a lot of Coke. They use they're mostly mix their uh their whiskey with tea. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I thought I mean, it was crazy. Nutty. Well, coming off of uh your first Father's Day, you know, I I how Father's Day for the new baby. For before you say that, let's let's say congratulations to uh, Victor from Rhineshine down in Dallas. Had his uh, daughter on Father's Day. Well, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Uh, beautiful little girl. So congratulations, Victor, man. He's part of the community. Good dude down there growing a business. Uh, he's yeah. been on some episodes. and uh, um, But, you know, Father's Day, I guess you, you took your kid out to the pool or what'd you do? Hey, uh, yeah. So, you know, we did some pool time. But, you know, what you find is, is that uh, the presents aren't as plentiful on uh, that holiday as others. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to know. I mean, at least I got to know. What is swimming like with a little kid, like a little little newborn, around the Walters family? I mean, are you old school motherfucker? You like toss your kid in and make the <laughs> no, out? No, no. Here, here's the funny thing. She's she's really good in the water. You know, we found out at swimming lessons that uh, I don't know. We treat boys a little differently in this uh, day and age. Some real soft kids just crying the whole time. But no, she's not like that. She's great in the pool, and uh, it's been. Like she has no problem. She'll, she'll go under, she'll do all that. So, you know, we're at nine months and she's able to do that. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, you talked about gifts. I had a really, really great burger for lunch and I got some French fries. You know, that was great. <laughs> exactly. I got a couple text exactly. messages from my daughters and you know, that, that summed up my, uh, my father's day. It's amazing. isn't it? I mean, one is gets a whole month. You get about three, four minutes. I mean, so it's, it's almost equal, but, uh, you know, it's got, it's, it, it was pretty cool though, you know, to be able to like goof off and hang out with her and that's plenty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we want to, we want to talk about today because it, it is exciting as the way stuff is starting to evolve now. Um, but before we talk about the Bronco, was there anything you remember? Do you have any attachments to the Bronco growing up as a kid? Do you have, I know you were a Jeep guy like me. You yeah. ever been into Broncos? Yeah. So I really looked hard about four years ago. I wanted to buy that 96 white Bronco. Um, 
it, it's iconic because if you were ever, if you were old enough and that, it really is like an age thing, you probably had a cutoff at the time I was, you know, 14. So my memory was there of the OJ chase and everything like that. I mean, no, no matter how crazy it was, it was special to see that vehicle. So nice traveling down the freeway all, all over your TV and then shown for the next, what, 25 years all the time. You know, I mean, his name comes up, it's boom, the Broncos on television. And it, I never got into the seventies ones. That's a whole, you know, I take care of a bunch of those. Um, you know, we have guys that have gotten them restored. Here's the funny thing. Almost everybody, every one of my customers that's ever purchased one, restored it, has sold it. But it's not the same for the nineties Broncos. The nineties Broncos drove better, rode better. You know, they were, they were a little heavier. They were, they had a little bit longer wheelbase. They were a better vehicle. But if you get into those early, early Broncos, every single one of my customers who's paid a lot of money to restore them has always sold them. Always. So in high school, we didn't have, I didn't know anybody that had a Bronco, but I had a buddy named Jason Sanders who had one of those big blazers. Um, oh, yeah, those right? And the top what came was, off. Yeah. Um, those were cool. And I, I got a buddy now that has similar, that has those seventies and has those older ones. P Willis, he's down in Dallas. He, um, when, when we were in high school, he had the forerunners and he was big yeah. into the forerunners. And, and, and those, those were big. Those, those were actually big in the nineties for us too. I mean, a lot of people, it, you know, it was like Jeeps, forerunners. You kind of had this like mid-sized SUV type run in the nineties, like forerunners. If you go look at those nineties forerunners, they're not that big. Mm. I mean, you know, so they, they were actually economical on gas even before that was a thing and they ran forever. And, you know, the big thing now is Toyota Land Cruisers, the prices, I think one just sold on bring a trailer for $140,000, uh, 1996 Land Cruiser. I think it had like a thousand miles on it or something. And the big conversation now is, are we seeing fraud? Is it possible that this isn't a real 1000 mile because you can turn those the clocks back? I don't know, but the market for those 90s SUVs is through the roof, and Broncos included in that. So my first wreck in high school uh, was uh, I was running a stoplight uh, because I looked, I'd been looking at this Forerunner and looking at it every time I drove to church, every time. And I was in this little S10 pickup truck. I didn't like it, but I was happy to have a truck. Yeah, you know, like, 100%. And, and I, I'd always look at it because it had been sitting at this gas station that that's, you know, I guess somebody was trying to sell it. And, and I, I looked one day and I was like, oh, it's not there. And I, I kept looking and I kept looking. And then I looked and my buddy is in next to me. He goes, Marty, Marty. I was like, what? That slammed on my brakes. I, mean, I don't know how I'm still here. It's one of those where I should have just plowed right into him. And somehow my truck just kind of moved to the side and I just <laughs> scuffed up the butt. Like I didn't have hardly any damage. But we we almost lost our lives looking at it. Uh, yeah, I I didn't have a Bronco big one, but I've told the story about having a Bronco too. You know uh, uh, that that was that was our family car. We were my sister had a Bronco too, and then she had a Suzuki Samurai. Those and, are uh, sweet. So I had <laughs> the Samurais are sweet. <laughs> we had we we had one in my family. I, I love those things. Those, by the way, those things right now, like for off road guys highly sought after at the True, moment because they're super light right super yeah. light um, and you can put huge tires on them and but you know the big thing about those is like the government uh really got into those because those things were like the easiest car ever to flip so the government like 
had a whole like the national highway traffic and safety. They all stepped in when those were built. Those were hard to sell and hard to insure because they were scared to death. People were going to flip them and they flipped at a rate. Almost no other car ever did. Oh, well, I got lucky then. <laughs> yeah, I, I drove one a lot, dude. Those are great. I love those things. Yeah, it, it was the majority of my college car. So I, you know, the Wagoneer that I have still now, I took it to a little bit in college, but then the Bronco that my sister had in high school, I ended up taking it to college, but my dad needed to paint it first. And, you know, but when, when, when she wasn't using it in high school, sometimes I'd sneak it out for the weekend, you know, in Tulsa, especially back then, we, we didn't go more than about three or four miles. There just, there wasn't a lot to, and you just stayed on that main strip and you just stayed doing, and every once in a while you go find off a little place. Well, we found this place that had this hidden little jump and right in the middle of a parking lot. And, you know, I wish we would have had cell phones. That would have been what we would have done, but everybody just stood out and watched you as you went and ramped it up. And, you know, <laughs> apparently one time I got all four wheels off the ground. That's tough. Hey, you know, that's it's what it is. Yeah, uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's cool now. I mean, look, production has kicked off with the Ford Bronco. I mean, that's where we're at today. The new Ford Bronco, basically Ford comes out, puts this production video together, all the, the, the news outlets get it. Hey, Ford Bronco's coming off the line. And it's going to be interesting because that means that, that Ford is taking their semiconductors and saying, we're going to basically get Bronco on the, on the, the uh, road as fast as we can and probably not do as much in other trucks, not do as much in their, their SUV and cars. They're going to really start rationing these things out. But I mean, I, look, we got four or five on order here through customers. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, nobody knows when yours is coming, but they say it's coming off the line. So you, is that the way it's going to go? They'll actually slow down production of other vehicles just to put out the release. Is that, is that the way it goes? It, I mean, the way we understand the semiconductor problem, that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to start making a choice of, hey, this F-150s are more important than expeditions. And we're going to have to pick and choose. And, you know, that's that's the way the story is being told. Look, man, if the used market gets into into equilibrium and, and, and the inventory of the used market starts going through the roof like everybody thinks it's going to, and those prices start to drop, I think most of this stuff is is fixed right? The, the manufacturers will catch up much quicker than we think. The problem is now is that you've got to squeeze on both sides. Used cars and new cars are, are in a squeeze and it's making it worse. So yeah, I think they're going to have to ration out what they choose. It would be interesting. You, you mentioned that you think that there's going to be an equilibrium to the used car market. I mean, right now, uh, oh. for instance, we, you know, we know somebody here locally that is trading in his 18 truck Dodge truck getting a 2021 and he said he's getting so much more for his trade-in that it's making his new car purchase almost the same or if not less mm -hmm. hey, what how why uh and then well, you think that so, yeah that's, so there, when does there, that equilibrium how yeah. how does it equilibrium out yeah so here here's what is the story. So I've heard these kinds of stories, right? Just like you're hearing this guy has this truck that he bought a year ago, two years ago, he's trading it in and getting some ungodly amount of trade in value. Okay, let's say he's getting, you know, 10,000 over what he probably should. It's happening everywhere. The issue then becomes, he's also purchasing a new car at a price level that's unrealistic. Because again, if I don't have very many cars, and I got a whole bunch of buyers, what am I going to do? I'm going to jack the price up. So 
when people tell these stories, I always find that they don't tell you about buying the next one. They're like, oh, I got a bunch of money for my trade-in. Yeah, but you still paid a premium for the other car. So what what's going to happen is the prediction is essentially as repossessions kick in, as the government kind of steps out of the, the you know, repossession, eviction, all that moratorium ends, that you're going to have a bunch of used cars come into the market. So it's going to drive used car prices down, right? So what's going to happen is at the end of the day, everything's going to start to depreciate like it should again. So let's say I paid 70 grand for my new truck, but I got this 10,000 extra bucks trading my old truck in and I'm so happy. What are you going to do when that $70,000 truck though falls like a rock in six months and it's worth 50% of what you purchased it for? What happens then? is now it's depreciated faster than you've ever seen one of your cars or trucks depreciate. And most of those people are business owners, right? So they may trade their truck in or car in every two to two and a half years. And then you get into this position where two and a half years down the road, you've lost way more value than ever. And now you have all this negative equity. It's going to come home to roost then. And it's kind of, isn't that kind of the cycle? Does that normally oh, yeah. happen or is this completely far-fetched and we it's not? Oh, yeah, this is, this, is, this has never happened. We've never seen a depreciating asset of a car go up in value the way they have now, right? Used cars are not supposed to be. The whole market's designed, and people always say collector cars. Well, here's actually one of the things people don't realize. There are very few cars that ever make money. I mean, most of the people that bought a Porsche within the last four years are going to lose, lose a shit ton of money. Like... They're just going to lose a ton of money. They they don't think they are because they think they're the smartest people on the planet, but they're they're going to lose a ton of money. The GT market's out of control. They have 911 turbos that are $255,000. Like those cars are not going to sustain that price level. So what's going to happen is you buy a $250,000 car and it's going to depreciate more than you've ever seen before because again, the market's going to normalize, right? It's all great when everything, you know, you've you've owned a house for a long time. It's great when the market's up. And you look at your house price and you go, oh, man, I could sell it for this much. Yeah. The problem is when that stops, when the musical chair stops and you go, huh, yeah, I probably should have sold that eight months ago because it's, I'm probably not going to see that for the next six or seven years in my house. The car market's going to experience the same thing. But it is funny to listen to people tell you the one side of the story. And this is always what I've loved about cars. Nobody ever tells you they got a bad deal on a car. You never heard one person ever say to you, you know, I got a bad deal. Everybody gets a great deal yet, you know, Honda and, and, and Toyota and McLaren, they're all in huge buildings. You know, it's the old casino joke, right? If you won, they wouldn't be building them. You know, Honda wouldn't get bigger and bigger. Toyota wouldn't get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I, I kind of always laugh when people think they're going to game the car market. It, it, it's going to get you at some point. So you mentioned house a second ago. You're right. I've owned my house, fortunately, now 12 years. But late last year, I was looking at selling because the market was super hot to sell. I walked outside one day and I think I was, I don't know, I was doing something in the yard and I saw my old neighbor that just sold his house. Waved at him. He came, you know, like, hey, what'd you get for it? And I went, holy shit. Like, yeah, you got I remember what? you and I talking about it. Yeah. yeah. And I went, wait, I could cash out this big chunk of money? Right. And then I started to go look at, all right, great. I could take that and let me go buy another house. And then I went, oh, ouch. Like, yeah. no it, way it, do I want to go pay that for that yeah. house. Like, and it's so I ended elevated. up pulling my house off yeah. the market and then didn't do it. Like, but 
with that influx of, of what we saw last year in 2020 with all the extra revenue coming into Bingo. the stream, all Bingo. the money coming down from the government, all the free this, all the open it, like it shot prices way up, which was great if you wanted to yeah. sell. But then if you had to go buy, whoo, that was tough. The the thing that I'd, I'd love to know your input because what happens to all those people that that did that and now that money's starting to dwindle and now maybe is there going to be some problems in that market? It's not our concern, but then I want to say, so what also then happens then to people that bought all those cars last year? Maybe they oh, got a lot of extra. Yeah, they're going to get hammered. So I told everybody that would listen and, you know, look, my clients, some will listen and some have FU money. They don't, it doesn't concern them. They don't care if they lost a hundred, they could drive the car off the cliff. They just would, it wouldn't bother their net worth. But those guys that really asked me my opinion, I told them, please don't do this. Don't order this car. Don't order that car. Relax, take a deep breath. And some listened, listened and some didn't. The ones that listened are excited as hell that they listened because they, they know just instinctually that the market's going to renormalize and that is what it is. Um, but when it does, you're going to see negative equity in cars that we've never seen before. Like I, I, you know, we discuss this all the time. There are very few cars and I've driven hundreds and hundreds and thousands of cars. Okay. There are very few cars that are worth a hundred thousand dollars yet. The new Chevy Tahoe, you can pay a hundred thousand dollars for. If you're paying a hundred thousand dollars for a Chevy Tahoe, you need to put a bullet in your head. Cause you're an insane, you're an insane person. Chevy does not build a car that's worth a hundred grand. They don't, they don't even use real leather on their seats. Like it's not a hundred thousand dollar experience. It just isn't. So why are we paying that? And what do you think the downfall of that is? If I pay a hundred grand for a Chevy Tahoe, that means if I resell it, the dealership's got to be able to sell it to Marty in the used car market. Well, Marty's not going to pay 85 grand for it. He might pay 52,000 for it. He might pay 45,000 for it. <laughs> he might pay 40. So wherever that market is in the used car, that's what people don't understand about depreciation. It's the sale on the other side that dictates the depreciation. They got to be able to sell it to somebody. It's a very simple market to understand, except for you go to the dealership because you guys need a new family car and you say, oh, well, I've always had Chevy Tahoes and now it's $86,000 for the level you've been buying when you last bought it, it was 45 grand. It doesn't hit you hey, something's out of whack here. And that's really the problem is that, you know, so many people were willing to pay big prices for one reason. And I think you know it because they were getting a government check and that's coming to an end. And there was 0% interest. There was 0% yep. this. There was no payments till this. And then, yeah, yep. what happens now, not on the $100,000 Tahoe, but what happens when the government money, the all the different stimulus stuff and then the, the drop and then maybe economy. The reason I bring it up is maybe what we're thinking, and this is just a theory, but if some stuff's going to start happening in the housing market, then it might trickle to the, the people that bought those cars. And a lot of those cars could get repoed. And that doesn't mean that it was a $4,000 car. Like you could get a $40,000 car repoed very easily. 500 the same grand as car. Any, yeah. yeah, any car. Every car and is repoed. So then all those cars go back into the auction. Bingo. That should then drive down. So when we talk about normalizing, right? Supply. The, the theory is that this part of the industry would help normalize those prices 
bring the auction prices back down, exactly. decrease the prices at the dealership, and maybe hope normalize some of this craziness in the market. The whole reason to talk about that is because we're in the auto industry, right? I mean, and that affects no matter if you're somebody that likes to clean your own car, no matter if you're somebody that does it on the weekend, you got a full-time job and then you clean cars on the weekend, whether that you're a person that is like myself, like Nick, who has done this professionally for their career, right? It yeah. changes a lot of things for no matter who you are. Anybody that enjoys a car, it's, it's influxing so much for us. Oh yeah. It's crazy. And, and, and like I said, it's, it's just overall interesting, right? Like it, when you see these weird events, you know, now having seen a few in my lifetime, it's like, Hey man, stop and watch it. Stop and pay yeah. attention. I mean, you, you're, you're going to learn a lot about the car business by paying attention right now. Like all you gotta do is just pay attention. And that that's really all I, I I'm doing it more for entertainment. Like it's, it is our business, but at the end of the day, we can't do anything. <laughs> like I'm not going to stop this problem, but I can learn a lot from it. Right. I mean, the mismanagement of, of the car industry as a whole, it, there's somebody's going to write a book about this time. Like this is some of the most insane mismanagement in the history of business. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable from, from the top down it's just fun to watch. And if you don't have any interest in this, man, I don't know how you love cars. Like this is the craziest thing on the planet. All right. 30 seconds. One of the other craziest things is if you go rent a car right now. Oh yeah. I got to tell this story. I mean, this is, so anyway, I got a buddy, his uh, son is headed to the major leagues. Okay. He was a top 14 draft pick. And, and the major league baseball draft. So now he's in triple a. So they got to fly to triple a to go watch him. And it's on the East coast. Okay. So they're going to fly into Philly and then drive the triple a affiliate. He tells me yesterday, he goes, uh, man, this trip's going to cost me a lot of money. I'm like, dude, come on. Like, what do you care? Just rent a hotel. I mean, everybody knows what the stuff costs. It's like, stop bitching. You're going out there for a week. You're going to stay in an area actually outside of Philly. It's going to be very affordable. Cause I know the area. And he's like, uh, no, nah, it's the rental car. And I'm like, like what? So they're going to be there. They're going to have the rental car for six days and it's going to cost them $1,100 for a Toyota Tacoma. <laughs> what yeah. is that per day? You're the math genius. I mean, essentially, let's just call it $200 a day. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, that is an unbelievable price. And, and it all comes from panic. What happened is the pandemic hit travel stopped. So what did the, what did the rental car companies do? Oh, well, we got to get rid of our inventory. And guess what? That's part of the issue in the used car market is because the used car market is used to giving, getting so many cars per month from these huge rental car companies. Okay. So one of the big supply issues is they're always trading in some of their fleet. And so the auctions were used to getting, let's call it 20,000 cars a month from all of these people that were used, used rental cars, right? Beat up rental cars were a big part of the auction scene. Well, when they dumped their whole inventory last year, guess what drove also was a part of driving the price down in the used car or price up in used cars that they had one time influx of these cars instead of every month selling a couple hundred or a couple thousand, couple thousand, you know, and getting that influx, 
the, the guys that led those companies completely panicked. We, we got to just dump our inventory. Well, guess what? Anybody with a brain knew the world was going to reopen. So all you had to do was take a hit for six, eight, nine months, and you would have been the king of the hill now with all the inventory. But they all dumped it, and now you're paying essentially $1,200 for six days of rental car. Imagine, like, think about that. If you were the, the CEO, but how many CEOs would make that, right? They're, no, they're looking at they're, that quarterly. They're looking at that month. Like they, yeah. they don't think long-term, right? The, the no, because they think they could have. lose their job. If I don't have a good quarter, somebody can fire me. Well, the whole thing is, is that most of these guys don't lose their job that way. Their bonus goes into that quarterly management. So they're worried about their freaking bonus. They're not worried about the longevity. They're worried quarter to quarter. Do I get my bonus? Do I get my bonus? And that's, that's the disease of corporate America. I mean, as a, you know, that's just the, that's the way it is. It's the most inefficient way to run a business is big corporation. Imagine there, if that guy would, or female, apologies, um, yeah. would have set on that inventory and then they could flip it now, not even just rent it out, just flip it to the other car. Like, exactly car. right. Anyway, it, yeah. All, like there was, yeah, been I mean, all it's, kinds it's just of a great, but yeah, $1,200 for a car uh, is, is a price that I never thought I would hear, but I definitely, I definitely heard it yesterday. All right. So stressful times is definitely, he's going to be in a stressful time. There's a lot of us go through stressful times. There's, there's a lot of stress though, that many times come when we get that phone call from a customer and that customer goes, Hey, uh, yeah. So I need you to come over and look at this. And well, that could be water spots. You know, we've talked about water spots. Many times water spots gets one of those. I had a call from a customer and this is this was still one of my crazy ones for my career when I was de full-time mobile detailer. I'm clean. I, I go, there's this guy every sat, every, no, 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 at that point he was Friday. So every Friday morning, seven o'clock, I'm at his office to clean his black Mercedes. And then after that, I'd go clean another, right? I had people set up on maintenance. We'd just go to this one, go to that one, go to the, the, the warehouse. Then I would go to the uh, different uh, buildings that we service. You know, we had our routine. Well, I'm off to my next car and I get a phone call from the secretary and the secretary goes, what did you do? I'm like, huh? Well, Sitton's really mad. You got to get over here. And I'm like, oh shit. Right. Like those calls are never right. Like oh, horrible, oh, horrible. Like something inside you just goes, Ooh, uh, yeah. Fuck. No, I didn't do it. Like I left. Yeah. I checked it. Like there's no way, like what, you know? Exactly. So fortunately mine was just, I don't know. It was something like maybe we rubbed our sweaty arm on a spot. Like I walked up yeah, the car knows? and I was like, huh? Like wiped it off, went inside. I was like, Hey, no issues. Uh, any, uh, anything relative, uh, have you gotten any uh, phone calls or you gotten anything that goes, so Oh shit. What's about to happen. We, uh, coded a Raptor about 10 days ago. Okay. And when we coded this Raptor, good customer, like, really buys into the protection, understands it, the perfect customer, you know, which we're pretty lucky. We have a lot of people that do take the time to understand. Some don't, but he, he's one of those one. He wants to understand. Then he just leaves you alone. So we put the coating on and I tell him the, 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 the usual thing. Hey man, the next three days really make sure nothing happens, but this thing cure up, you know, let's keep water off of it for a couple of weeks if we can, you know, that's not always controllable. So I've never been kind of a, you know, hard liner on that, 
but I do say it to people, Hey man, this is the best course of action, but it's a daily driver for him. Well, he's a big camper with his family. So he tells me magically. Wait, texts like, me last, it's like, hold on, like sleep on the ground. Camper no, no, no. Like me? He's got a camper. He's got oh, a camper. Uh, uh, yeah. He, he pulled the camper with the Raptor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he didn't pitch a tent when he got no, there. No, no, he's not. He's not Marty hardcore. So okay, okay. anyway, he goes to this place in, in, in the middle of Utah and he told me, he's like, Hey, I'm going camping. I never thought anything of it. Like he just takes such good care of his truck. Like, Hey man, good. Awesome. Last night he texts me, he goes, uh, yeah, you're going to have to get to my truck tomorrow. There's stuff all over it. I'm like, okay. And that was all the text. It was late. And I'm like, oh, no big deal. You know, he, he went camping. Like there's going to be dirt. It's going to come off. We get there and there's like this tree sap um, all over the car. And I mean like, on. Yeah, like everything, everything. Everything, glass. And, you know, that Ford plastic is so bad. You know, it just comes out of the factory. Horrific. Um, come, I get there and I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. I'm like, oh, my God. Because anybody that's dealt with tree sap, you're thinking to yourself this shit can go one of two ways. It comes off or it's got no chance of coming off and you got a steamer in your hand and you're going inch by inch, like trying to get the shit off. And, or have you, right? You've seen tree sap. Cause I myself have, I've done tree sap where it didn't, you know, and then once you got it off, there was an use, Yeah. Yeah. You had to use so much stuff that you actually, then you can either damage the clear while you're removing it or that tree sap left that little ring around and you go, yeah. and it's ugly. It's worse than a water spot. Cause it can yeah. actually, it can be really bright when it leaves that etching behind. So, I mean, it's everywhere, but it's not like tree sap, like big globs of it. Okay. That's like small. And so if this doesn't come off, this is like the most tedious. And by the way, he thinks he's in the clear because there's a coating on the car. Because you've never had to have, if you've never had the tree sap conversation with that particular client, they don't understand tree sap's unpredictable. Like, dude, this, this shit might come off. It might not, whatever. And then we have the other part of it, that this coating's 10 days old. And, you know, we got a lot of wives tales in the whole coating game. You know, how long do you got to wait to get it wet, whatever. So anyway, I take the pressure washer from my guys and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to handle the pressure washing right now. Because my first thought was, Hey, if it doesn't come off with the pressure washer, we're screwed. All right. Well, yeah, hold on. That's what I was going to say. First thought, did you walk up and did you go, oh, yeah, we fucking got this. No worries. Or oh. was there something inside of you that went, oh, you know. No, no. I, I have the same reaction that I had 20 years ago, which is I've seen this go a variety of ways and some of them are bad. Like, so, yeah, you get that pit in your stomach like, okay, A, he believes in our coding. B, we just did it. So he thinks he's protected. His whole calmness was, was he had ceramic on his car. Cause you know, this, it doesn't matter how much you explain this to a customer. They think ceramic makes their car bulletproof. They, they just do. It's, it's an, it's a natural reaction. It's not somebody being, you know, idiotic, right? It's just a natural reaction of, Oh, I've paid for this protection. I'm good. And I kind of got a pit in my stomach. Like, Oh God, I hope this shit rinses off. The other part of it is I, I hope it didn't contaminate the coating right? Because that's the other part of coding. It gets contaminated. So I'm sitting there thinking in my head of a million things. So I grabbed the pressure washer and we have hyper clean dose on the truck, which I believe in because we've put, as you know, we've put a bunch of, of that coating on recently. So anyway, I start to rinse Marty. 
it just came off. Like it came off every surface we had coating on. The glass had slick on it. So the glass was completely perfect. He couldn't believe it. He was standing there, which he doesn't do. He's not that guy. He's standing there and he goes up and he like, and he's like, oh, it came off that easy. That's crazy, huh? You know, and then just kind of walked away. And I just took a deep breath and I was like, man. But I mean, you know, we didn't really have to work hard at all. And I mean, this shit was everywhere. It came off the trim because, of course, we coated the trim with HyperClean Dose as well. And it just shows you, man, there's sometimes that, you know, if that's an old wax product or maybe even a paint sealant, I don't know. I don't know if I get the same reaction. And this is where ceramic really steps up the game, right? Where it's like, it made it so easy. It's kind of, it shocked me in the moment because I thought we were going to have to do something at some, you know, this part of the tree sap doesn't come off. It just 110% came off. Uh, We did a really thorough wash with our soap, put some mitts on it, made sure to really, really walk through and get every inch with the pressure washer. All we did was, 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 be extra thorough and when we left it was like and by the way we didn't even use anything to dry the car because basically because dose is so so fresh it you know i sent you a little like video like it basically dried itself which is the other you know part that's great like it showed no it was no worse for the wear but it also showed like this guy understands hey man i got a problem i I know it's late you got to get to my car my truck as soon as possible you know, that's the part of ceramics nobody wants to talk about, man. Sometimes you just got to get to it fast. You know, if it had all week to sit on that coating, would we had the same, you know, uh, level of, 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 you know, wonderfulness, so to speak, of getting that off there? I don't, I don't think so. So it's, it's also that part of he understood that he needed to get the stuff off his truck. So yeah, it worked out, but man, that, that's a scary moment. So I'll put that video out for anybody watching this live. I'll put it out on the uh, IG stories so that they can watch it. If you're listening to podcast form, sorry, it already be gone. If, if, if you really want the video, we, you know, we'll show it to you. Uh, it yeah. is cool, right? Like um, you mentioned something though, right? The customer reached out to you early, um, whether it lasted and sat on there for a while, we're not sure what would have happened. Now I'm confident, right? As the best I can be, that the coating would have still worked a week later when he would have gotten his maintenance wash, but it's not worth the risk. Right? So what is it that the customer, you know, is it the customer? Was it you, you know, what brought about that person getting in touch with you at night to be out the next day? Um, And is that in education? Is that, you know, is that all on the customer? You know, I think it's both. Yeah. I think it's both. I think it's a good question. It's both. I mean, we, uh, that relationship matters. Okay. And and the way that you develop it, you know, if you're, if you're a, a guy that's going to coach your own car and you're listening to this, if you talk to people like ceramic coatings are a magic pill, which, you know, look, the detailing industry, that's what they do. This is going to solve everything that ails you with your car. Well, it isn't. And it isn't a magical product. We have a very quality product at HyperClean. I'm very confident in HyperClean Dose. Very confident. It's the, it's the one we stall, install the most of. Um, I really believe in that product. But I also don't believe it's a magic pill. And I don't talk to people that way. And so he's a perfect example. Some choose to listen and some don't. And that's, that's their right to do that. That's their uh, moment in time to do that. They're allowed to do whatever they want to do. 
But the reality for me was he's been talked to like all of our customers. If you get something on your car, man, you need to get it off. If a bird takes a dump on your paint, you've got to get that off of there. Ceramic coating, PPF, uh, wax, sealant, I don't care what it is. Things like that being on your car in the heat, having the sun beating down on it, is never going to turn out well. <laughs> get it off the car. And that's how I've always trained people. It, ceramic hasn't changed that for me. I, maybe that sounds ridiculous to people, but I actually think ceramic has to be cared for more than waxes and sealants. And I've always talked to people that way. If you want the coating to work as it's supposed to, you got to keep it contaminant free 100% of the time. This idea that you're only going to, you know, do a decontamination of the, of the, the, the surface once a year. Why, why even let it get contaminated? I always tell this, we don't ever have any customers unless something outside of their control happens. We don't ever have to use the clay bar on their car, but one time when they buy it, we don't have to use a clay bar again. We take care of the car. It doesn't get contaminated. I don't buy into the, uh, let's let it get contaminated. Let's let the coating not work properly. Then we'll fix it. I, I don't buy into that. I want the coating to work perfect at all times. And guess what? When I shot that little video and it's, look, it's all I did was just show, this is us rinsing the car. When he got that video, which is 10 seconds long, he was ecstatic. Coating was working properly. Tree sap was coming off. And guess what? It's not contaminated. It's fixed. And it was fixed because he chose to listen. And I told a realistic story as well. So I think it's both. Uh, yeah. You mentioned wax, though. And you mentioned sealants. And, you know, I've got a buddy named Jeff Kays who formerly was with a, a company and he was one of my sales reps. And then we just stayed friends, right? He's down in Texas and he actually put coating on too, put our coating on, right? And then went and drove to the airport because he would fly around for work, left his vehicle outside at a parking place, got bird crap all over it. When he came back home, he sent me photos and he was ecstatic. Normally bird crap, right? When it lands, it flattens. Yep. Well, his balled up because it couldn't stick and then it dried itself off and he could just flick it. So yeah, great. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, Wonderful. There are some attributes to coatings inhibiting um, the acids, inhibiting whatever the bird ate or inhibiting tree sap yeah. from breaking down through because a wax isn't going to repel as long as a coating or a sealant. Yeah. Now, could it for a, a brief moment? Yes. But in my opinion, I still think that somebody should always still put on a wax if that's their right, if they're 80 years old. <laughs> yeah, but like, anybody look, that's not I, yeah, right, yeah. because it's going to be hard to change that person's perspective. But anybody that's not, I'm going to always still recommend a coating because I don't still use a flip phone. I don't still yep. use a Motorola. Right. I mean, yep. technology's changed. And for me, I'm going to protect a vehicle with the best form of protection. Now, the difference between some coatings and a wax is going to be the ease of application, which is specific right. why we created and why we designed our coatings to be so user-friendly on the install. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's the chemical resistance is what you're looking for, which is basically where coating is going to outperform a wax or a sealant, right? Any type of chemical resistance is going to be elevated. 
and especially as you get into a more durable coating, right? From Uno to Dose to Tray in our line, Tray is probably going to be a lot more chemical resistant than Uno. They're both going to be chemical resistant, but Tray is going to be that extra level of chemical resistance. Now, there's a there's a diminishing amount of return, right? You can't just magically put a 52-year coating on. It means no chemical ever is going to get to it. You can only get to a certain point of chemical resistance. But yeah, that's exactly what happened. And, you know, it busts the myth of, you know, don't don't touch the car for two weeks. And, you know, you got to use IR lamps. Well, we didn't do any of that. And the coating performed perfectly. And so this is the other thing that 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 everyone that's in this car journey needs to realize is that some of this stuff is just old wives tale. This was from coding 10 years ago, you know, coding today. And I've had this thought for a long time and you and I've talked about it inside our company. I really don't want anything to happen to the car within 72 hours. Give the coding 72 hours to set up. You know, you could probably reduce that for Uno to 48 hours because it cures much quicker. Um, but, you know, after that 72 hour period, I don't get real specific about, you know, don't touch the car with water and don't, once it's cured, it's cured. Going that extra time without water touching it doesn't do anything. It's just, it's just an old wives tale. Okay. And especially those people that have IR lamps at their shop. Well, why do you have the IR lamp if the guy's got all these rules of not being able to touch his car? The IR lamp is to cure the coating. So, you know, that's the other thing. Like, here's, here's an example. How many people would have said, hey, you know, I can't get water on your truck for another four days. Imagine telling this guy he's got to drive around with sap all over his car because you have some, you know, knucklehead telling you you got to wait 14 days to get wet. Is it better if you do? Okay. I mean, I don't think so. But if you want to have that hard and fast rule and try to get your clients to do that, that's your decision. But I've always just told people the 72 hour thing. Don't get it wet. Don't let a sprinkler hit it. Let this thing set up. And look, if you can wait a week or two and not wash the, the, the car or truck, great. If, if they can't, what am I going to tell them? This product takes two weeks to cure? That's crazy. It doesn't take two weeks to cure. Otherwise, we should throw every IR lamp in any shop out the window. You can't have it both ways from a scientific perspective. And so we were able to save the day with this guy, and he was so happy to see how it performed. And, you know, once again, proving that the real world is more important than somebody telling you, you know, you've got to wait 14 days to touch a car. I mean, that's, that's just not true. No, it would, that would be interesting if you told a customer, sorry, we can't, we can't wash your car today because. Oh, Marty, but you, but on, you know, that happens. You know, there's guys that, that, that truly think this is going to take 14 days on the dot to cure because somebody has told them along the way and it makes no sense from a chemistry perspective. None. Because if the coating is cured within three days, which I think almost everybody says, especially if you put IR lamps on it, you're now curing it in the moment, it getting wet is irrelevant. I mean, if, I, that's, if, if getting it wet is going to damage the coating, then it's going to get damaged driving down the street. <laughs> so I've given cars back to customers immediately, which not very many people do. Um, I've given cars back to people that were going to go get in rain. Not, not common. I always say, hey, here's a towel. <laughs> Make sure you get that water off because even if it's only in the first couple of days, I still don't want to run that risk of, because I've watched, right? Some of the tests I did um, was put a coating on, let it sit for a little bit, and then put a bunch of water on. You, you know, you, you can douse a coating and you start seeing the, 
you can see it right if if you yep. if it doesn't sit up too too long and you hit inner water too quickly you can see a little rainbow you can't see a, a chemical reaction you can see that water start to break it down yep. you know in the heat a week couple of days i get it you like it, it is there is a little bit of a, a juggle a, a real world right so yeah. i've always tried to also say hey you know i here's the guide right here's here's the here's the general guide frame of where exactly. we would recommend right yep. if, if it doesn't work exactly the way you just just make sure you get the water off just make sure that everything's okay like yep. it, it's not the end of the world well, and I think it's also the, the, the DIY or the enthusiast, it's also scared them from coatings, right? The guy that knows a lot about putting stuff on his car gets worried about coatings because there's all these like rules. And in, in, in retrospect, if we're being honest, our Uno product is easier than paste waxing a car. So nobody should be worried about a coating. Coating technology, especially the coding technology we have in the marketplace right now, there's zero reason to be worried about it. This isn't 10 years ago. We've advanced. I mean, think about it. We're not doing wet towel application anymore. That wasn't that long ago. I can't imagine people that are still, because they're, oh, yeah. they're still, yeah. we'll get messages. Hey, do I need to do the wet towel? I'm like, who still tells you to do a wet towel? Oh, that company still does a wet yeah. towel technique? It's, it's crazy. But, you know, people shouldn't be scared off coding. We get, a, you know, detailers starting their business. DIYers that are enthused about putting a coating down and they've talked to someone else and they've been talked out of doing it. How many guys, how many guys we get DMS and they're like, Oh, well, you know, I, should I do a coating? It's like, dude, order Uno. And I guarantee mm. you, your child could help you put this on the car. That's the whole design of coding. It's so easy. Do you have to pay attention? Sure you do, but you have to pay attention with a paste wax. Remember when that shit used to get caked up on the surface, you couldn't get it off. Like you don't have anything near that worst experience that we had with paste wax. So I always tell people, I mean, you're in a position now, like I looked at the guy in the face today. I was worried, right? Because I have tree sap in my brain of bad things, but here's the greatest part about it. That was an easy coding install for us. It's now we didn't follow every rule in the book and it worked perfectly because common sense sometimes does matter. You know, it's like, Hey man, this guy has been in 115 degree heat. With this, if it's not cured by now, it's never going to cure. Like, there's nothing that's going to cure this coating if 115 degree heat over the last 10 days has not cured this coating. And so you make that executive decision. And when it works out, it's like, oh, yeah, common sense does does play a part here. <laughs> it does. It does. Well, man, uh, I'm glad to hear that you had a great weekend, got to play with your uh, little girl out in the pool yep. and uh, that everything worked out on that coating. We, we got to know, though, did... Did your boy win the the U.S. Open, or was there anybody oh, else? Oh, John Who Rombo? are you going yeah. for? Because yeah, I'm sitting Rombo. there, I'm sitting there watching, uh, having a beer with girlfriend. We're sitting there watching. I'm seeing nothing but like shank right, shank left. We're going straight into the the, uh, uh, the canyon, the deep rough. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was. I was going, holy shit! This this is the worst rounds of golf I've ever seen. I mean, it seemed yeah. like every single, and then I told you like the last the last shot I remember was some dude hit it up in a tree and they were all looking up, trying to figure out where the ball was. <laughs> I've never seen that happen. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm super happy for the guy. You know, he had an incident a couple weeks ago in Columbus at the tournament where they basically told him after he had, was blowing everyone out, he was about to win $2 million. They're like, yeah, you can't play golf anymore. You got coronavirus. 
So they basically stole the golf tournament from him. Could it have been handled different? Well, we talked about corporate America earlier. No, corporate America can't handle those type of things. They handled it poorly. Cost the guy two mil. I mean, just imagine flushing. I don't care how much money you have. Flushing two mil down the toilet because of coronavirus and something that's ridiculous for this guy. But he took it on the chin, went into quarantine, separated from his newborn and his wife, whatever, and then comes out and plays like he did yesterday. Basically shoots the round of the day. Uh, makes two incredible putts on the way in. And you know what? It, it's that karma thing. Like he took it on the chin. He knew he wasn't, I, I mean, privately, I'm sure he knows he wasn't in the wrong. It's like, dude, I could have found a way to play outside, you know, an outside sport. I could have figured it out, but you guys wanted to take two mil from me. So he won the biggest United States golf tournament of the year. And and I think that's a great thing, you know? So it was, it was fun to watch, you know, sat in my backyard. Like you said, we were in the pool, hung out with my daughter, got to watch it. And, and that's, that's all that really mattered. But yeah, it was kind of like you said, it was it was a fun little, you know, couple hours with all the people coming on coming unglued there. Yeah, it was definitely fun. It was. All right, man. Thanks. All right, Glad to hear you had a great weekend. And uh everybody else that's getting a Bronco, hey, good luck. <laughs> hey, if anybody needs uh needs a painter to turn it white, uh, you know, that's that's gonna be the good one. I, <laughs> I think there'll be people that will start doing it and they'll roll around with white Broncos yeah, again. hundred percent. And guess what? If you need to code it, hyper clean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Have a great right, day. Bro. We'll talk, talk to you talk later. Episode over. Leave us a review and we will see you on the community pub Wednesday nights at 730 Central. The Zoom meeting ID is 918-800-1188. That's the Community Pub, Wednesday nights, 730 Central. The Zoom meeting ID is 918-800-1188. Grab a pint and enjoy.